Welcome to The Standard. The Standard is on a mission to champion the pursuit of excellence and fight against the celebration of mediocrity. For those who refuse to lower their standards, for those who can't raise their own, this is The Standard. For fitness, for family, for life. Are you done with your academy now? No, we're just starting, actually. Um, How many people are in it? This, this time, uh, I think they said 35. How many instructors do you have for that? So we they require a one to five ratio. So you have about seven to eight. That's a good ratio. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. You know, you can handle a group at a time, especially when you're teaching skills. Yep, yep. Yeah, and that's nice, too, because you get a bunch of different perspectives. You don't always have to take the lead. You, you can actually take the back seat and learn from somebody else as an instructor, you know. But we have uh, – you guys worked with Denver, right? We were once part of the Rocky Mountain Fire Academy, yep. Okay. Do they have any partners now? No, I think they're there by themselves. Okay. We, we have a bunch of partners. So you're all different departments, and then your instructor staff, it can be different departments, too? Yep. Okay. How does that work? You know, like I feel like a lot of the the benefit to having a department that has their own academy is that you have this camaraderie of like, oh, we're all on like literally all on the same team. But when you're coming from all different departments, do you still have that? You know, like I know that like I'm proud to be a part of my academy class. Yeah. And that means something to when you go out to a station, and they're like, oh, what academy are you from? Oh, I'm from 1602. Oh, you you guys are savages. I heard. You know, oh, like yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Is it tough for for them, or that word kind of gets around? That's a good question. I don't know. So when I went through um, the academy in 2007, we were just North Metro, um, and since then they have changed the partnership to include all the North Area departments. So I believe we have. A consistent six and an additional two that kind of come and go. But I think they do take pride in their their academy number. This last academy, you know, I, that I was a part of, I, thought, I think that group was terrific, but it was my first academy. So I think it is possible that they're all terrific, you know, but I, I really enjoyed each one of the recruits this time around. And they definitely took pride in... Everything, their speaking, actions. Are speaking pr- of pride, yep. One thing I really wanted to be that I had the most pride in as an instructor was the class itself coming out. Yeah, like firefighters that hit the line. I viewed it as they were a direct reflection of me or anybody else that was part of the cadre. When instructors don't view it that way, I think the class suffers. I think the overall product suffers. You know, it's like you got kids, they're a direct reflection of you when they go to school, uh, when they graduate high school, when you release them into the real world, right? Mm. These aren't kids you're dealing with, but to an extent, when someone hits the line and they're unprepared, it's a direct, in my opinion, it's a direct reflection of, you know, who trained them. Yeah. And so I took a lot of pride in that, uh, making sure that I did everything, you know, if it meant volunteering tons of hours over your normal work week to make sure that the, uh, the ones that hit the line were dialed in. Yeah. And when they hit, when they do hit the line too, I, I felt kind of like, uh, you know, cause obviously I'm, I'm stationed with a couple of them, um, from time to time and you know what they know. Right. And, and when they act dumb about things, it's like, bro, show them what you got. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? It's oh, but isn't that part of the game, though, for new for new people? It is, yeah. They yeah. don't want to be boastful or right. like a know-it-all. But if after you've been there for a year and you're like, come on, man, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, you're better than that. Right, yes. Yeah. But like you said, that pride is something that, as an instructor, you want them to kind of show that they do know you know, a certain skill or they, they have a, a more advanced skill set than maybe they're letting off on. Yeah. You know? What were some qualities of your favorite instructor? I mean, you've, you've been through an academy, you've done things inside and outside of the job, you know, so you take classes that could be fire related and, you know, you do the CrossFit stuff, you're coaching, all that. What are some qualities that you look for in an instructor? 
I think the biggest thing is obviously passion for the job and also care. The passion obviously is something that comes through right away in skills. So a passionate firefighter or, you know, whatever level of firefighter, what position of firefighter it is, um, when they have passion, they have the, the skill set that is more advanced. Um, but what's really cool is seeing them take an advanced skill set and dumb it down to the basics. I mean, you guys are masters of that. And when you see somebody take, you know, all these, you know, flare items <laughs> off the table and just bring it back down to the, the basic mechanics of throwing a ladder, stretching a line, advancing up a, a stairwell, you know, those things that a set of recruits have never seen before and communicating that in a clear and concise manner so that they can easily replicate it. That's impressive to me. That's, that's a cool, that's a cool thing to see. It's not cool on Instagram, right? Like I, I will oh. always go back to, uh, and I don't know who came up with it, but when I was taught it, it was this, you know, it was this like ladder flip basically to get it up on your shoulder. Mm -hmm. And man, it was so cool. And every time I went to go teach somewhere, they'd be like, oh, do, like do, you, do you flip it on your shoulder? I mean, I listen, I, that's not for me, but it's, it's flashy. And I think instructors tend to gravitate to those types of things and those types of movements because it's cool. Like I, it's, it looks cool. It looks like advanced yes. and they don't really want to talk about the nuance of how many fingers you should have on the beam when you're raising it up to, to maintain lateral stability. Like that's not, you, you guys almost fell asleep as I was talking about that. <laughs> but to me, <laughs> that is so much more interesting than, you know, this, this stuff that looks cool on social media or, yeah. or you know, instructors traveling around. Those things that you find impressive and, and you gravitate towards as an instructor in the fire service, is that CrossFit? Is that, I mean, is that throughout all the things that you're interested in? Yeah, mastering the basics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, watching somebody air squat perfectly, seeing a lightweight or PVC barbell snatch, uh, power snatch, you know, d executed perfectly, that impresses me more than, you know, the bells and whistles of, you know, other ways of doing things. Like, you know, I think you guys said in your Mastering the Basics class, um, there's the idea of, I think you were describing it as like the toolbox, right? Like where people, people say, oh, it's just another one for your, your toolbox. It's like, no, no, no. Let's go back to the basics, master that, and forget about the, the extra things in the toolbox. And that really resonated as like, you know, I think over the years, I've heard that phrase where somebody says, oh, well, that's just another, you know, another thing for the toolbox or, you know, that's another way to do it. But in reality, that person maybe has not or I had not mastered the, the, the very basic skill and I'm finding a cheating way around that. I, I think it's just so much more fulfilling to take one, you know, simple thing, even if it's like putting your gear on. And finding these like just small little ways to make it masking up. That's why we make it such perfect. a huge. That's why we make it such a huge part of our class. I, mean, I don't mean that we spend the entire time on it, but it's in all our evolutions. It's in a lot of our competitions because how many jobs have we gone to where because of fast mask up times, you more or less steal an assignment? Oh, we're taking. I mean, right. Well, that's how you get four or five assignments on one fire. It's true. You know, like, hey, I'm back. I'm ready. I, I I haven't taken my gloves off yet. And, you know, like, it's like a high school dance. All these people standing in a line, you know, hoping to, hoping to get asked. And our crew is ready. Gloves on, and we will have... Not a, and it's not a talent thing. It's not a better than... Oh, God. It's just ready. That's a good point. Yeah, just we're just ready. Re ready... It's a ready state. Yeah. But when you're like... But it's a simple skills. Every time, I, every time I'm standing around, I have my hand on my regulator in a certain way that, okay, now I can put this on and I'll have it ready to go in 10 seconds. Yeah. To me, that is much more impressive. Or I guess that's not the right word. It's much more telling of what your capabilities are than being able to push down a hallway 
while flowing at two and a half. When people make skills look easy, but you know in your head, uh, at, you know how difficult something actually is. But they make it look easy. They look make it look like they're not working, and almost like they could push harder. That's when I'm impressed. Mm. And you're, but you only know that because you know you practiced. You practiced, it. and you know the work put in. I mean, that that's one thing. As as I get older, I appreciate more and more somebody who's an expert at whatever it, is. it could be a skill, it could be their whole profession, whatever. When they're an expert at it, when they are, their performance is at such a high level. Man, I I have some great appreciation for that because I know what goes into to mastering that skill so well that you make it look effortless that you're essentially a professional at it right like but not those not all those people make good teachers I think that's a whole separate it really is and like you know the ability like for you guys I've you know you kind of introduced me to the gloves on mask up thing and how important that is to get more jobs and to be the next one assigned and, and all that stuff. And I've practiced the hell out of that regularly. Every morning when I put my gear on for the first time, I, I mask up, you know, gloves on, pull the hood on, because you remember how bad I struggled with that. Yeah. And uh, that's become a skill that I have now. And I feel like it's it's in my pocket. It's not something I need to think about. I can do it quickly every time. Um but like you, like you said, the next level of that is then showing other people how, how to do it and, and communicating it in a way that they are able to do it and they understand the benefit of it. Well, the instructor has to also understand the process he went through to learn it, understand that that might be the case and most likely is the case for the student. This episode is brought to you by us. More specifically, the Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can get more episodes like this. You can get discounts to our store and free gear. Head on over to the-standard.us and click on Patreon. This episode is brought to you by Elevated Safety. Elevated Safety is the premier company for high-angle and confined space training all over the country. Check them out at FDIC. They're going to be at booth number one zero four one. If you're looking for training or for gear, check them out at elevatedsafety.com. Back to the show. You know, so you've been in the fire service for 20 years and now you're instructing a new guy how to throw a ladder. You know, I, or my example, I've been working really hard at ladders for the past four or five years. I can't expect a new, any new guy to, throw a 35 single person without months, maybe years of work. Mm-hmm. You know, I just know that that's the process. Now, if he does, there are going to be people that do it better than me. So maybe that does happen. I mean, one of the guys we work with, Eric, I mean, he, he'd probably go out anytime and throw it, you know, he's just specimen, right? But you have to be as an instructor understanding that it's going to take time. Because I see it a lot where if if a student struggles with learning a skill, that the instructor will get frustrated or, uh, you know, just kind of start bagging on the dude. And it's like, well, that's an instructor that doesn't understand that it took them a long time. It's a progression. Yeah. Like, to dumb it down into movement, exercise movements, it's like teaching somebody how to squat snatch before you've taught them how to air squat. What's the point? What's the point? Like, right. you need to develop a sound foundation that uh, of an air squat before adding to it and making it an overhead squat. You need to then build that overhead squat positioning so that you can receive a barbell from the ground to the overhead position. And to do that, you need to be able to deadlift properly. And this all takes time. It takes years of reps. Yeah. And to expect a, you know, going back to the academy setting you know, to expect a beginner uh, recruit to, to be able to throw even a, you know, a 24 or a 28 um, the first few times they do it. It's just, it's not reasonable. But the expectation you can have is that, hey, I know that you haven't thrown this or this is new to you, but I can expect you to put 
a ton of time in, especially while you're out here on the drill ground, but a ton of time in on your own to speed up the process. Yeah. You know, that's one expectation. That so how do you take a master and make him an instructor? Oof. Open-mindedness. I mean, he's got to have, he's got to have that growth mindset. Right. And then, so there, and then there's the care element too. Yeah. I mean, well, that's a whole nother topic too of, I mean, as an instructor myself, I, I choose who I want to invest my time and teaching into. And that's based on their receptiveness, their want to get better. Like that's, that's the prerequisite. You have to want to learn. If you don't want to learn, I'm not going to waste my time. I'm going to spend it on people that want to learn. Okay. What about the people that we, we can't write people off as instructors going into the firehouse. That's not an option for us. Uh, at least uh, I say this. I don't believe we should be writing anybody off. If they are going to be into a firehouse, it is our job to get them ready. So what can we do to make sure that that happens? So I guess, Tom, I guess I'm with you. I'm not going to pour in to somebody who doesn't want to learn, first of all, all the little nuances in my passion because they're, they're just not going to take it. But there is a base level that we need to get people to. And so how do you – I think to be a really good instructor, you have to be able to, to do that with everybody and to a certain point. Right to to get them to the minimum standard. I think to be a good instructor, you got to have good students. Think about that. I'm not saying that <clears throat> it's just it's a two way street, right? There has to be a feedback loop there that there's good students that, or there has to be good students that you have to have students that feel you are a good instructor too. You can't just self label. Yeah, and for the most part, you you hope to have gotten through that in the interview process and you know, yeah. whatever stage of the game they're in right now, like hopefully that person you've identified that they do want to be a student, that they are going to be receptive to instruction. But part of it is also the set and setting of this academy is about being a beginner. And we don't expect anybody to be an expert at this. We expect failure. We expect you to look silly. And that's good. We want that. But we also expect you to learn and be open to feedback. And keep trying and not, trying. not, not quit. Yeah, that's an interesting place when I think the majority of our listeners are instructors in the firehouse. But instructing recruits is completely different. Mm -hmm. Your approach is different. Your patience is different. Your expectations are different. So... I don't think you can necessarily take anybody out of the firehouse and put them in a recruit instructor role. Yeah, because the recruit instructor role, I think rank is involved from the from the get go. Right, these are you are the first people that they see. You know, you represent the organization that they just got hired by. So you could be shitty, you could be great. They don't know the difference, but guess what? You're the one in front of them, so there is that automatic authority right there i think if you're running an academy and you don't allow people to volunteer or you're not capable of recruiting who you want to be instructors you have failed you have not only failed the department you have failed the recruits and most importantly you have failed whoever you're out there to serve because it's it's certainly a position that you have to want to be out there yeah it should not be a crapshoot of like hey like next up, your academy class sucked because your instructors sucked. Like that should not happen. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I remember starting out each class, and we ran that very physically demanding type of academy that you know the first couple of weeks were designed to see if you wanted it. You know, hard on them mentally, hard on them physically. But my goal by the end of every academy is. I want to be friends with these guys. They're riding behind you. Yeah, you're working with them. And honestly, I'm friends with a ton of people that were out of my academies. I can't say it yet. Like, I think there was a, there are some instructors that place that boundary on their students that, well, I, I was your instructor a long time ago. I'll always be your instructor. 
And it's just like it's just very it's it I don't know. Like you dumb. said, it's it's, it's a dumb. difficult time for all, all the people involved. It's early mornings, you're staying late, you're grinding all day long. I feel like, you know, as an instructor or as a recruit, you're you're grinding uh with that group of people and it at the end of it, when you come out of it, when they are issued their uniforms or their you know, their badge, it's it's a group effort. And again, there's pride in that. And when you look at that class, like I, I look at the last class, NAFA 10, like, hey, guys, we suffered together. We got through early mornings of PT. We got through long days of fireground stuff. And we also, you know, got through a lot of this so, uh, education part of it. So why do early mornings of PT? Why suffer? Why, why can't we just, um, why can't we just work out on our own? Or why can't we just, you know, do it when we don't feel tired? Why, why do we have to all meet in the morning? And what's the point? Don't look at me like that. I, I know. I'm, I know what I'm I think. playing devil's advocate. I know. Yes. I know. You. <laughs> I know what I think about that is is I want them to be invested in their own future. So, the approach that I took last year in writing the PT program for NAFA Ten was I wanted it to be simple enough that they could complete it on a daily basis, without being scared of what's what's coming that day, but also leave them with the confidence that maybe they could try something a little harder once they complete the academy. Maybe it gives them enough interest in, you know, certain aspects of fitness that they want to continue to learn and get better at it and try new things. I didn't want them to feel like, oh my God, I survived it. It's over. I'm never doing that again. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's feedback you get from a lot of people that say that, you know, I went through an academy and it's the most fun I never want to have again. I would I would go back to being an instructor with the right staff. It, it yeah, was. Would you go it, back to being a recruit, though? I'd want to go through one of my. I, I want to work hard, man. I want to earn it. You know. I know. My, my academies that I was an instructor were way harder than the uh, academy I went through as a student. But I'll say one thing that makes a difference on either side is when everybody's in it together. So, like, Matt, your early morning PT sessions, you're doing it with them, you know. The instructors have to be in gear at the stations showing, you know, the actual real skills. Well, They have to be showing up at 6 a.m. doing the same workouts that the recruits do, you know. If you're walking around with a coffee cup while everyone else is busting ass, you're a piece of shit. And, spoiler alert, you're a piece of shit when you're not an instructor anymore. You know, like, I I just don't have any respect for you. I think an interesting perspective you have is that someone like me, I am out there and I have a pretty good handle on the fire service portion of it, but not really the sport and, like, uh, the fitness, how to teach, how to approach burying somebody, because all I know is my own self. But you have both sides. You have hey, I can make sure that you're going to stay healthy and you can still go perform, you know, all these tasks throughout the day. And I think me as an instructor, that's where I lack quite a bit because all I want to do is feel like death at the end of the day. I think there's an easy solution for that. What's that? When you're trying, you know, you talk about what's the right amount you're saying. Yeah. So whether it's a workout, whether it's an evolution, whatever, I'm in competition with myself. So I might use whoever I'm competing against. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to bury him. Yeah, of course. Like that, but that's just me. But as far as an instructor looking at a student and gauging them, I'm looking for one thing. I, I really don't care how fast they do it, how slow they do it. Granted, it goes back to, are you, do you have a, a simple foundation of preparedness, right? You're, you don't come into the academy 100 pounds overweight, right? But going back to like what I said, I'm looking for one thing is do you quit? Yeah. Effort, effort. You know, do you quit? Like when you are in the middle of a workout, when you are in the middle of evolution, when you are mem- – remember uh, at the shops with um, one of our firefighters, Steve, trying to throw the 20-foot straight? How long did that last? Hours. Hours. And he never actually got it. But – Man, I enjoyed just watching that for the reason that, man, I'm watching this guy in this quest, and he will not quit. 
that's what I enjoyed most about it. it wasn't that he couldn't do it. You know, it was just he wasn't going to quit. So it's like, I'm going to stay here as long as he wants to stay here and foster this. But am I simplifying it? I don't know too much. I don't well, know. It, I mean, how do you, when you're creating this program, how do you gauge, like, on paper, hey, I'm going to set this thing up. I mean, I think it's important for people who are listening who are like, oh, man, I'm in charge of maybe they're the most fit person in their department, and now they're in charge of setting up a fitness program. I mean, like, what are, what goes through your head when you're putting this stuff together? Well, first of all, let me go back a second and say, you know, I don't have the same confidence in uh, fireground instruction that you guys do. So in NAFA 10, uh, the last academy that I participated in, it was a learning experience for me. I got to... Be- you know, sit back and observe a lot of the skill work instruction and participate as the lead instructor on certain evolutions where I had the skills that I was very confident in. But that's why I decided to come back for the next one was now that I've learned all of that stuff, how it looks, how it should be presented, I'd like to do it again and build on what I learned and get more reps and sets. Um, But the PT stuff for me is easy just because I have a background in that. In, re- in reality, what I'm looking for is stimulating each of these people's bodies to adapt. Mostly, I'd say, with the fire ground application in mind. Hmm. So you break It's down, all that matters, really. It really does. It's all that matters. But, but there's physiological adaptation that has to take place to even get job-specific, like strength, like aerobic capacity. And that stuff is the foundation. So when I build out a program, I'm thinking really those two things, strength and uh, cardiorespiratory endurance, stamina, uh, stuff like that. And when we built the program for last year, uh, Shree and I, we basically had uh, a single day. uh, So it was a three-day cycle. We did aerobic capacity development one day, which we did in the form of running. We did strength work pressing, which was... Uh, primarily bench press, and then strength work, squatting. And I have a belief that squatting will develop a deadlift as well. So those two together kind of work towards each other. And that was the basis of like the jumping off point of the program. So we did a linear progression method for all three of those things where we're stimulating the body a bit more each day throughout the academy. And we would then add kind of anaerobic conditioning or accessory work after each session, that that part of it was the job-specific part. You break down each of the physical taskings of firefighting, and you give them a bit of an exposure using gym equipment to those physical taskings. And what what, what we were hoping for and what ended up happening is that what was happening in the gym was giving them more confidence to perform movement on the fire ground. So you're building this condition with a base of aerobic capacity, running, doing some weightlifting, and then you're taking that base and then you're trying to build off of that with anaerobic activity. Right. Is that and, kind of the uh, yes, yes. gist of it? Yep. And the way that we did it, um, which is something that we stole from Pooter Fire Authority, is we identified on a calendar what days were going to be difficult drill ground days. So what days are they going to be throwing ladders all day long? What days are burn days? What days are they going to be stretching lines all day long? And we would identify what would what we'd call red, yellow, and green days. Red day is, hey, PT is going to have to take kind of a back seat or off entirely because they're going to be thrashed uh, on the drill ground. It's it's going to be hot. They're going to lose a bunch of weight because of hydration. Um, So we need to be careful on those days. Yellow days are kind of proceed with caution, just like a yellow light. Make sure that, you know, let's just say that day is like a, you know, throwing ladders day, that we don't fatigue them to the point in PT that they're going to injure themselves during the drill ground activities. And then green is a go. So PT, we're going for it. Mm. We're going to, we're going to do some punishing stuff and my goal for each of the PT sessions was just that, physical training. It was not mental training. And there was a big uh, disagreement with some of the cadre members uh, from different departments. And I think we were all on the same page by the end of it that 
that, hey, look, what I'm trying to do is stimulate the body to gain an adaptation that's going to make these guys better firefighters, more confident firefighters in the long run. And yes, it's going to look boring. It's going to look like they need more. It's going to look like they're not challenged and that they're going to be standing around and resting. But that's what I need. What we can do to stimulate the mind is give them things in the middle of the day that scare them, that are so difficult that they're probably not going to be able to finish or complete it. And that's the time to kind of get on it. I mean, you guys know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, I think it's so easy for instructors to want to make these things buds. Yes. It's easy. It's easy to yell. It's easy to scream. It's easy to, hey, we're going to take 10,000 pounds and we're going to move it from this point over to here. And all I want to see you do is bleed out of your eyes. Exactly. Like That's a really easy way to... What if your instructors are doing it with you? I think it's different. Because I think, okay, yeah, I agree. I mean, yeah, I think there is. You just stand there and you prescribe this and prescribe that. What's the anybody's gonna ask? Well, what's the point? Well, the point is tell us. No, well, hey, we're gonna do it with you. What's the point? Ah, we're gonna build some camaraderie. We're, you know, we are going to start to feel what it looks like to work as a team under some pressure and be physically taxed. And only when they're participating, though. Trust, right? I think trust is that. That. Trust that I'm gonna. I'm asking you guys to show up every day, and push through some stuff. Fatigue. Well, I'm not. I'm. I'm asking that of myself as well. I think a big portion of fire academies that get missed because we see the back end of it when we get new new folks coming out to our firehouse is the time and gear and the heat stress seems to be something that gets missed as one of the most important tools we can give our new people is comfortability being hot and it sounds like so silly but you know when we get a new person right after we're done training they rip all their stuff off because that's exactly what they were taught to do in the academy do you see the importance of it's another physiological adaptation okay so perfect yeah i guess that's a way probably the most challenging right don't you think i think it is i think it is because hell yeah because when do we run academies it's never during the winter it's always you know you know early or fall spring or fall and it's always there's going to be a hot component of it yeah and you know i wore my bunker gear as much as possible because like what you're saying like you know walk the walk you know suffer like they're suffering understand what they're feeling at least to a degree but totally, I mean, if... there's there's an adaptation that happens when your body is weighted. You get better at moving with weight on your frame and heat stress too, because I mean, it's it's just like living in a warmer climate. But I mean, a sauna. I mean, Craig, Craig can attest to this. I I'm so acclimated to bunker gear, even in our hundred degree summer days. But then when the winter comes, I mean, it's like forty degrees outside and I'm freezing. And I got my bunker gear on. You know, I, all my calls are running. I don't know if you Stop remember. It. Stop it! Uh, don't even try to make high, fun of me. Our high plains, uh, <laughs> our high plains class. Yeah, old the first uh, morning. Old chili fingers over here uh, was the only person in like forty gloves degrees. And a knit hat. Yeah, it's forty degrees and it's fine. And <laughs> was not happy. These guys from Wyoming are in tank tops, and he's over there like shivering, rubbing his shoulders with with mittens on. Well, something as simple <laughs> as you even wearing a helmet, like yeah, like you don't realize it. Like wearing a helmet and wearing your SCBA, you're developing neck muscles, your traps, uh, you know, a lot of muscles in your upper back that you take for granted until you've done a, a long burn day and you're like, I, I have this sharp shooting pain yeah. in the back of my, like near my shoulder blades that I can feel in my eyeball. Yeah. Right. And, and until you've developed that, you know, capacity of wearing that stuff. It's going to suck. It's going to hurt. And our recruits have never felt that. Right. It ta- they have to be in it. And they have to see it. Because if you're just telling it, you know, you, that's just part of the, I think, the teaching process. Like, you have to visually see something. Demonst- I'm going to tell somebody how to perform a certain skill, how to shoot a free throw, right? Yes. Demonstration. Hey, is- this is what you need to do. Bring your elbow in, you know, this, however your process is. Well, how about I just either show you a video or show you myself? In, in the fire service, it's got to be, I need to show you. Like, I can't tell you how to do this particular skill and not show you. I mean, that's the first thing that checks me out. It's like, you're going to show me? Nah. Okay, you're not? 
Okay, I'm going to find somebody else who will. Yep. And you know why people don't show. Oh, big time. Yeah. And when, I mean, so that's the one thing I actually encourage a lot of newer guys to do is, hey, you leave here, you're going to get different, like, ways of doing stuff. People are going to tell you how to do this, how to do that. Ask them to show you. And if they don't, then check, then buy. Yeah. Go on. I think the, the two skills where it happens the most, forcible entry and ladders. Because forcible are, entry for sure. Those are big. When you make a mistake in those, it's it obvious. Is so obvious. Yeah. But when when someone shows me and they fail, and then they show me again, I'm like, oh, dude, you have me forever. Yeah. As a student, I am constantly looking for mentors. So this process does not stop. But you just get sharper. You can you can spend a very short amount of time with someone and be like, oh, okay, I I trust you. I will do what you say. Or Okay, well, we're probably not going to work very well together. Well, the thing, too, is the failure's not as great in a skill if you haven't bolstered yourself up as the be-all, end-all, like, I'm going to crush this thing, you right. know? Yeah. So it's it's not ragging on people for how they do things, ragging on the student for his inability to do things, and then it's time to get up there, and it's like the fall from grace is real far. <laughs> yeah. Instead of just watching paying attention and hey if somebody's struggling hey maybe this works for me try this and then when it's your turn to go you work through it and it's just there's just not as it's not this unreasonable well you feel like you put yourself on the same level as whoever you're teaching should be right uh we just had an incredible conversation with your wife sheree and she said that you had a one of your favorite instructor moments recently coaching moment yesterday coaching moment. what happened yesterday what happened yesterday oh <laughs> Oh my gosh, what was it? So we were in the gym together, and uh, I don't remember what the movement was that we were working on. But Shree and I have a relationship uh, that's it's wonderful ninety nine percent of the time. The one percent is usually in the gym, <laughs> where where we kind of falter a bit. I know that I'm basically treading on, you know, whatever the phrase is, bumpy water or whatever. If uh, if she is doing a movement incorrectly, I have to approach it so gently. So gently. <laughs> I think it was, uh, she was doing halos with a kettlebell in warm-up. And the idea is that you're, you're stretching out your, your lats and your triceps. But she was not, she was just putting the kettlebell over her head. What is a halo? You're basically, if you're holding a kettlebell upside down uh, by, by the handle with both hands, you start in front of your face. And what you're supposed to do is go around your ears behind your head, and then around your other ear back to the front. So the idea is that you're stretching uh, your, your delts and stuff as well, but really it comes down to when it's behind your head, you're stretching your lats and your triceps. And we were getting ready for a bench press-based workout. So I was trying to kind of get a little bit of that stuff opened up, and I was watching her just put it over her head and then come back around. And I just thought to myself, I was like, oh, my god, Just scream no rep. <laughs> and uh, I just I just have to approach things. And, you know, this is most people, really. They don't want you to bark an order at them. You want, They want to know that you care. So what I started with was, so the point of this one is to stretch out your, your triceps and your lats, Tree. So where, do you feel that right now? And nice, she, man. I actually really think that's actually really great. Yeah. Did well, she, did she not? Great? She smiled at me at first, and she knew I was trying to approach it as <laughs> softly as possible, you know. But, you know, this is the thing that, like, you know, barking orders at people, you know, you're, you're not doing yourself any favors because they don't want to listen to you. And, you know, like in the, in the academy in the morning, I actually have a harder time with one of the things that you said earlier, which, which is participating in the workout. And I look at that as, yeah, I want to. I absolutely want to get a workout in because I'm going to have to work out after this Yeah, if I don't work out. But my job as like a pure fitness trainer role is to improve these people's movement, make sure that they're safe, make sure that these body mechanics relate to the movements that they're intended to down the road. So I don't work out with them if I am the coach in the morning. But do you do the workout after? I do. See, so that's so we've had that, and it was like, then it's up to you to make sure that they know or they see or whatever yep. that you did the same workout they're doing. And then there's a time... 
on the drill ground where you can do it with them. Right. So I, I, I have no problem with that. It's just as long as they know and they, they can feel confident the fact that, well, you know, Matt, he didn't do, he's like watching us and instructing us, but he's doing the same thing either before or out. Like when they walk into the weight room or wherever at 6 a.m., well, if you've, if you're already sweating and you've done it, yep. that proves it to him, right? Yep. So, okay, he's working too. They're more That's willing the to, thing. they're more willing to follow. If, if they see you walk the walk. I wouldn't even say more. They're willing to. <clears throat> yeah. I think one, and they don't even need to see it. I, I'll just speak. I'm saying them. they see. They, but they from know. our academy, right? So we would do a lot of wads. And the instructors who, for, for the same reasons, right? They want us to be, be doing things correctly because they don't want us to get hurt. But before we came in or during lunchtime, they would write their times. Their own, they'd put their name up and they'd put what time they got because they would work out during lunch. And that does the same thing as sweating right next to, or it shouldn't be the same, but it, it helps. It, it does. It proves, a, it proves a big part of what you need. Mm-hmm. You know, you need that validation that they're suffering together. It's the demonstration part, part that you were talking about earlier. It's the, I'm willing to fail just like you are. Yep. Right. I'm willing to hurt just like you are. And it's inspiring when you got, you know, guys with your experience that are still getting after it every day doing the exact same thing as the brand new guys are doing and that they don't want to do, right? So Yeah, I mean, we don't want to do it most of the time. Yeah. Yeah, it's just got to. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, we have people who are coming to our house expecting a certain level of performance. And there is a part of it where you're like, I don't want to let this guy down. You know, like he's expecting this from us every single morning because that's what he heard happens at this house. And so there is a little level of like, man, I don't want to let this guy down. It also makes it easier for the whole crew to just yeah. do it together. It's just like, you going in there? I'll, I'll go with you. Yeah, or I'm you in. start hearing, you know. Weights banging the, around. The, the bikes start to rev. Yep. And, and you're like, fuck. Okay. Or for us, like you start to see the aerial go up in the air. Everyone's like, oh no, <laughs> not another aerial workout. <laughs> it's tough though. I mean, it's tough to maintain that. You have to do that stuff every day though. Yeah. You have to, you have to get comfortable in the most uncomfortable environment. And that's like we talked about earlier. It's the gear. The gear is, the gear is the equalizer on the fire ground. It really is. Yep. You know, we, yeah, I, I have a different way of looking at it. I mean, like, you know, we, we've got uh, Leave It All at our station, big into combat, and does well, right? They, uh, Him and his team were, uh, we always world make champ. World champ, you know, they were world champions this year. So, I mean, great guy. It's amazing. Yeah. You know, but there's some things they do that are lightweight stuff, you know? Yeah, lightweight gear, lightweight helmets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I just... Uh, yeah, I, I get it because they're all, you know, that's a level playing field. They're all doing that. But it's the point I'm trying to make is when you're prepping for fire skills, you should have everything as it will be on game day. You should have everything in your pockets. You should have your hood on. You should have your gloves on. You should be wearing your helmet, you know, all that stuff. If you go on air for something, you should go on air. That's a big part of, I think, the training that we do is, hey, if you're going to do it on the fire ground, do it in training. Yeah. And the hood thing, I know everybody who's ever been in the fire service has seen that. Somebody who doesn't wear a hood in training, inevitably they're at the front door and they've got their helmet on, they're on air, and they don't have their hood on. It's around yep. their neck. Seen it. Right? Everybody's seen it. Uh, it happened to me early on in my career. Now it, it just never happens. I mean, it is just muscle memory comes over. Boom. I, I just don't have those issues. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's a hotter training environment to leave your – Structure gloves on to leave your hood on, but is is it really that much hot? You know, yeah, it's a it, men- is. it really is it more of a mental like, oh, if I keep this hood down, I I won't be as hot. It, whether you're hot, you're hot, you're hot. You know, just just put the hood on. You know, I think we're. And this is where I, all right. I'm going to play devil's advocate right here. I don't have a second set of gear. Right? I don't have an apartment that does that, and I'm concerned about cancer. Yeah, I mean that's valid, right? Like yep. that's a valid thing. I would. Well, even just wearing clean gear. I mean, we've been approached uh, 
through social media on the effects that we can have by always promoting working out in your gear and getting in your gear, even when it's clean, because the chemicals in it are proven to cause cancer. I will, I will say this. Those same chemicals are inside the pans you cook your eggs in in the morning. Everything. Right? Yeah. Like, w- this this report came out, God, was it two or three years ago? Not sure. Maybe I think. Five, I, maybe within the last five years, maybe. Yeah. That they have these, God, I'm going to mess this up. I think it's PFAS, P- isn't it? PFAS, yeah. So, I mean, this stuff is in in what we're wearing right now. It is, and I, I'm I'm with you. I think that we take on a certain level of risk when we sign up for this job. And if, if it bothers you that much, maybe, maybe this isn't for you. I understand where they're coming from, though. But I am, too. They, I, they don't want people to die. They don't want people to get cancer. And a lot of times it's people that have had cancer and... You can totally understand where they're coming from, right? A hundred percent. I think there are, I guess it's when, you, when you're truly looking at yourself, am I eating right? Am I exercising right? Am I doing all the other things that contribute to this horrific, nasty disease that most of us are going to get, that I hope none of us do? But I think it's a little disingenuous to say, hey... I'm going to keep doing all this other stuff, right? Smoking, you know, eating like shit, not working out. And then I'm going to make a stand here. I totally agree with you. Like, there's so many other things that you can put in your favor before eliminating. I mean, you you guys have heard it. Like, you know, weightlifting. Uh, People say, oh, I I don't want to get hurt, so I'm not going to deadlift. It's yeah. like we deadlift every day, no matter what. It's what we do. It's lifting people off the ground. It's, you know, it's just part of our day. So saying that you're going to be underprepared because you don't want to injure yourself in the gym, I'm not, that's not acceptable to me. Right. I mean, unfortunately. And if you're saying you're not going to train because there's cancerous components to your gear, that that's not acceptable either. I see you drink alcohol, like you said. It's just, it's that's not, it's not acceptable. There's so many other ways to cut that out of the system. Sounds to me like you're making an excuse for yourself of why we don't need to make our training harder. And that's not to say that we shouldn't look for other technologies to try and avoid that stuff Absolutely. in the future. And, you know, like I, I, I'm not trying to say, well, you're going to get cancer anyways. You're a fireman. You might as well not be a pussy and we're your stuff. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm saying that you need to be honest with yourself is, is that reason an excuse because you don't want to do it? Or have you removed every other cancerous thing in your life except for this one? Mm-hmm. And now this is where you're, you're, you're going to take your stand. And, and if that's the case, then I say, you know, kudos to you. But the, the people who I have seen make this argument, they got a lot more going on than just, training in your gear 11 days a month. Yeah. It's like training in the hot or training in the cold. Right. And the union issuing a, a grievance. Yeah, we're not doing this. Right. Yeah. Yep. It's dangerous. Right. We getting, <laughs> did we get a little too deep in that? No, I'm just shaking my head. It's, <laughs> I mean, it, it's, um, there was some training, I think, scheduled within the past like six months or so, and it was bad weather. No, we canceled it. What do you mean you canceled it? There's snow on the ground. You canceled it. Are we canceling fires? I just never get that. Yeah. All of the biggest fires I've ever been on have been either super cold, raining, super hot. Frozen bunker gear, frozen gloves. Yeah, I've never had like a a nice fall, crisp fall day. (laughs) And the fire starts at 10 and and it's over at 3. Yeah. Like... It's just 68 not. 68 degrees. Exactly. That's a, oh, God. It's, it's. Here's a question I've been asking lately. You've heard me ask this at the station, but to what extent is, uh, you know, when admin is wearing white shirts and the line is wearing blue shirts, is that more reality than symbolic? You know, they're white collar. Where does the work happen with blue collar? The reason I bring that up is because I look at 
a lot of police departments, and all the way to the top, they wear the same uniform. They just have gold. Right, right. Even baseball, right? Right. Why is the fire service, why is it you get a certain rank and you go into a white shirt? Oh, dude, I worked at a place where the chief wore a suit and tie. What the? And I'm like, oh, we, you clearly are telling us something. You run a corporation. Yeah. You're, I mean, you have completely lost, lost it, your dude. mind. You have <laughs> lost it. That suit and tie. Uh, Get out of here. Yeah, man. I, I think uh, we are lucky enough right now to have the chief who looks over our battalion. I don't think I've ever seen him. I mean, he wears his blue T-shirt or blue job shirt, and I think he, like, despises. I think a lot of them actually do despise it. Yeah, I you know. mean, absolutely. Like, you you walk into the station, you're automatically another. You look different than everybody else, right? Doesn't that what, is, what is the line value the most out of a chief, whether it's battalion chief or what? What, what is – when there is positive – things coming out about an individual who's at the chief level what is it usually support support but also what craig they're doing the work yeah oh like those yeah. chiefs that show up he's for, a fireman's chief is what but right? it usually is like oh he put his bunker gear on and he went through the evolution or he came out to training and ah, we were teaching this class and it's like a si- it's like a sideshow where you're like, did you see Chief blah blah blah? He went through that. He really didn't do a goddamn thing, but he showed up and put his gear on. And that's all anyone that's cares all that matters. about. It's so easy to be a good chief. It's, <laughs> it's easy to create buy-in if you're willing to show the people who work for you that you're not afraid to still be a fireman. Yeah, we have battalion chiefs. They don't. They're not required to do the uh, job performance assessment which is kind of like our annual yeah. uh, physical test. So who made that rule? You know what I'm saying? Right. It's a but terrible fucking rule. Well, the great part is our guys, most of them do it. Yeah, and they get a little, a lot of buy-in from they that, do, right? Yeah. But I mean, who the hell decided that, oh, I'm a chief now, I don't need to do that anymore, but I'm going to lead these guys? Yeah. I mean, come on. That, it goes back to exactly what I was saying about the white-collar, blue-collar. It's like, well, you've just disconnected yourself from – the main part of the job and ostracize yourself to maybe not so much of this thing as a family to this is a corporation you're running. Yeah. You know? Yep. Do you guys have a job performance assessment that you have to do annually? We have a fitness assessment. So like the met test? Uh, no, that'd be awesome if we did. Um, we do a, it's a, I mean, dude, honestly, it changes every year. It's like, hey, what's what's the, what's it going to be this year? It didn't, it's, oh, it really? didn't, it's just work capacity based, pushing and pulling. You know, we use the the uh, four minute O'Neill test row for what uh, to give us VO two max, and then we do a series of four exercises for a minute long, and they count the reps and never in your gear. No yeah, that's, job. That's the problem. Like to me, it's what is our job performance? Well. Our, we have to perform on the fire ground. How any fire department is not performing, well, I know how, because just there's a lot of complications. I get it with unions and with, you know, people being able to keep their jobs, you know, but. Yeah, but you have to start You got to get in your, well, we have, you know, yeah. You got to get in your gear. Like, that's the job performance. Like, I, I think the CPAT, I get why they do it. At least they add the weight. Uh, but I mean, I, I guess they don't need to really be in gear because I mean, you're just starting out, but certainly to graduate the Academy, there should be a job performance requirement that's met where you're in your gear. And that needs to be on a yearly basis at, at minimum. Make the time frame something that is completely doable. Uh, that you could even walk in. Absolutely. And I'm being, I'm being honest, right? Because you still need to throw ladders. You still need to hit a hydrant, stretch a line. And then gradually start cutting that time down. Maybe you don't need it to be 10 minutes long to do the combat, right? Or, or combat-like event, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you got to get in your gear. You have, you have to. Yeah, so we have a combat style. We call it a JPA, Job Performance Assessment. And it's categorized by time. And 
you know, it starts with the stair climb with a hose pack, and then you pull a hose roll up, descend the stairs with the hose pack again, uh, forcible entry prop, which is uh, similar to the Kaiser sled, except it's a legitimate, uh, like hydraulic based one. Oh, yeah. okay. Yep, it's got a buzzer. Yep. Drag a hose line, raise a ladder just by pulling on a halyard. It's a 35 foot ladder. Um, lower it under control, carry a fan, return for a dummy, drag a dummy out around a cone, then do the molitor uh, push pull uh, force, or I'm sorry, uh, overhaul. Uh, prop how okay. you gotta do that once a year once a year and it's in it's great i'd say half of your gear you're wearing a uh an scba without being on air you're wearing a jacket you're wearing your helmet you can wear sweatpants and tennis shoes which is oddly it's odd for me I that i agree with that i know um but i i would take that over what we're do, like what most yeah, fire yeah do. but i just think it's such a what we're like you're almost there, right? You've take you've done all this doing? stuff, and then yeah. you're like, oh, and then we do this, right? <laughs> yeah. We're gonna be in everything, but um, you can wear, you know, tennis shoes. Like what? Yeah, you wear tennis shoes on the fire ground? No, you know, it's yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but it it is it is a you know from what I understand, a lot of departments don't have that job performance requirement uh, as an element of the job that right. you're still capable of performing the job. We have an eight minute and thirty second cutoff. The last category for needs improvement is basically eight, uh, 755 to 830. And what we're trying to do right now is our fitness committee is identifying those that are in in that range and hopefully offering them a coach. What you know, happens if they fail? They're given another opportunity to do it again. Okay. Um, and if they don't meet that in, I, I forget what the time frame is. Uh, then they're they're gonna take uh, they're taken offline. And I'm guessing first thing first is they are given obviously some sort of program so they can the department help them try to pass this right get them in like they're not firing them right away right absolutely not no yeah, yeah and in fact that's you know very few people actually. Don't meet that cutoff time. If you walk the whole event, like at a at a very casual, not breathing hard pace, you can complete that in six minutes and thirty seconds, pretty easily. But we do have people that are in that last. Every category. department does. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And unfortunately, those 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 people don't reach out for help. So you have to force the help onto them by categorizing them. Um, I get it. I mean it. It's hard because it's a blow to your ego. Yeah, and yeah. one, it's you're trying to get better at something, but you're failing at it. So, what's your natural reaction? I don't want to do that anymore. You know, so it's like I am terrible at working out because I'm out of shape. Well, that's not any fun to get on the treadmill at work and get in shape. So I'm not going to do it. So now I get more out of shape. You know, it's like any fire ground skill. Um, I'm not very good at forcible entry. So when I do it, it goes miserably. So I'm not going to do that anymore. And then I get worse and worse and worse at it. You know, same thing with your fitness. So you almost have to force it on them. Try to create some sort of thing that's non-punitive, right? It's like we're going to give you every opportunity and give you all these resources. We're going to take you offline, not for, not because it's punitive, but for your safety. For you know? our sa- for everyone's but, safety. But, but for their safety primarily, yeah. right? You. You are so out of shape that it, the fire ground might kill you. That's not fair to you, your family, and your family at the at work. Yeah, it's hard to get people to see it that way, but it is really that's what has to happen. Yeah, and you know, I'm the I'm the one of the leads for our fitness committee, and we I I hear it, I overhear that all the time, which is you know. We can't have something punitive. We don't want to take people's jobs away. And I, I agree with that. Sure. Like, Yeah, I'm good with that. But there's still got to be – there still has to be a job performance requirement, you know, and ample opportunity to meet it that every – as long as everybody well, – okay, so we got to take you offline for six months? Fine. You know, does that mean that you can now meet this job performance requirement? Great. But just to let it keep perpetuating to where people can stay on the job, not physically do it, I think that uh, takes down morale at an organization big time. Yeah, if, if you are allowing this level of performance, I don't, I don't really want to be a part of that 
organization becomes acceptable, then I think people start to yeah distance themselves from that, right? Yeah, I, I do. I am. Yep. <laughs> How do you bring people along with you, though? Like you guys, I mean, the whole the standard is about elevating your expectations, not only of yourself, but potentially of the people around you, right? Yeah. So how do you bring people with you on on that? Because I know that most officers probably struggle with that, is you, you identify, you know, who your firefighters are that are excelling at their job, and you identify the ones that are behind the eight ball. And how, how do you do that? I think, and this is my own personal opinion, you need to make it accessible to everybody. You need to make sure that you aren't losing the people at the top who want to get, who want to just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. But if you only concentrate on those people, you're going to take that one person who's just starting their journey, right? Who's like, maybe it was that morning they woke up and were like, you know what? I kind of got to get my shit together. Well, if you bury them, yeah, there's such a gap between the top end and the bottom end. Yeah, you have to make sure that those people who just started, like, the, like, and I'm speaking from my own personal experience, that day that I just started, this, this, this journey was miserable. And so if you're like, hey, tomorrow's going to be just as bad, well, then you lost that person, right? So you need to make it accessible, but you can't make it so easy that, you lose the people at the top. So there is this, you know, pretty big gap. And so I think making an environment that is, happy is not the right word, but positive, I guess, might be the right word. That's how you keep people in. Where, hey, I, I I don't care where you're at today. I do care where you're at in a few years. Yeah. And so when we have people who come into our little group all we care about and we talked about this earlier is effort i don't care how long it takes you we just don't want you to quit i have zero expectations for anybody coming out of the academy right now you know yeah maybe had more five or six years ago after i got done teaching but through a multitude of reasons i just have zero expectations now and i think that's a good thing of course I should say I have one expectation, like you said, effort. Effort and don't quit. If you have effort and you don't quit, we can teach you everything we know. It's not everything you need to know, but it's everything we know. And you'll learn it. Inevitably, you'll learn it because you have good work ethic and you don't give up. Because that's a big part of skill retention in this job is just that that work ethic. But what about the one person that you're talking about? that's not where you're talking about. They haven't made the decision yet. They haven't. Yeah. They're still they're still there and they're just a bump on a log, crippled by indecision and sure. all that stuff. You think you just have to model it, you know? Okay, they're going to be here for 3, 6 months, whatever, maybe longer. You just continually model it and hopefully you wait for that that, that day or that time where they it clicks for them. Like, oh, I want to be part of that. I think we've had a couple of people come through our station that you wouldn't normally label them as being like like us. But after a few weeks, they they get it. You know, they're like, huh, kind of, this is just what we do. And Yeah, I think I know. having it in your mind, like you have no idea where they're at on this road. You know, you really don't. And that goes, I mean, this is for life in general. This is your fire skills. This is your fitness, your nutrition, your, I mean, all that stuff. You want to make it a positive environment to be like, oh, I, I, as someone who was overweight, not a shape, I constantly felt like I, like I didn't belong in these certain circles because I, I didn't live that type of lifestyle. So if you can make someone feel like they belong where they're, where they're at, you don't have to accept the fact that they refuse to, to better themselves. Like you, you don't have to like appreciate that about them, but you do need to make sure that they feel like at any point I can turn this around. I and treat it as a little bit of a game too. What do you mean? A game for you or for No, them? for everybody. Meaning that we know, and I think it's a fact, that when you are better at this job, you have more fun. 
Yes. Yeah, when you're you are, when you're not scared, but when you are good at your skills, you have fun going to fires. You have fun going on the big calls. Like it's your it's your game. It's just like any sport you played. You put in so much when you put in so much practice, and you're you want to play that game. And I think it the game I'm talking about though is I think I can prove to this person that the better shape he gets in, the better he gets at his skills, the more comfortable he gets doing this job, he's going to love it more. He's going to he's going to love it like we do, you know, and he's going to have fun. Yeah, I think the other the other thing is like showing them that they don't need to have that identity anymore. And and again, I'm just speaking from my own personal experience. When you are out of shape and and overweight, that becomes a part of that became a part of my identity. And so I thought that I had to do the food challenges at work. I thought I had to get that second, third helping when people are like, oh, give it to Stalloway. He'll finish this. And I'm like, oh, that's how I fit in here. I fit in here because this is what they expect out of me. I'm going to get some laughs. And that is my role at the firehouse. I'm not. And I think Tom gets this a lot because they're like, oh, that's Captain Johnson. Like he's this freak show who only you know works out 10 times a day and like that's his role well my role is going to be the funny fat guy and so i think it's really important to make sure that you create an environment that shows them that they get to choose their identity and hopefully they make the choice to become healthy and to get into the job and and like caps like it, that is so much more fun it's so yeah. much more fun i think it's when fulfilling people, too totally yeah it's what yeah. you expected it to be yeah to to dread going to fires, it has to be miserable. To hate it. To hate putting on your gear. Fuck, you're there 24 hours. Like, every time the tone like goes 30 off. 30 years. Every time the tone <laughs> goes off, you're, in a sense, dreading it. That would suck. Yeah. I mean, there's things, yeah, I don't like about the job, you know, but it's more... It's more on the uh, everything but the stuff we're talking. Yeah, about. I mean, it's it's everything that isn't mission focused. Yeah, you know. But I mean, the mission is what we put our right hand up for. That's what the badge we earned in the academy is for that. If you don't enjoy it, God, that's a long. It's just that sucks. It's a long career. Yeah. It, you know, the academy is where it starts, just like you said. 100%. And if you can just keep the ball rolling, like, that's the that's what I look at when I see these guys that just came out. I want to see the ball keep rolling. And if if they are hungry and they want to improve their skills even more, when they are done with academy, I'm fired up for them. And, you know, it gives me fulfillment as a, as a part of their academy in, you know, a small way that – I'm I'm happy because they're happy with their job and they want to keep getting better. Yeah. I mean that that's the biggest thing is when they leave you want to make sure that uh they keep getting fed what they want. Yep. You know, because if they don't that I think is a big one of the biggest disappointments is when you come back and like, man, it's just not as passionate as you guys were. I mean, it's going to happen, but then then it becomes Kind of getting out of that, oh, these guys aren't here to make my life better. I need to go out and find the right people to, to surround myself with to further my career. That's it. Thanks, dude. Thank you. Thank you.